Praise God. What a privilege it is to be with you this morning. So let me just uh, get a life check. Praise the Lord, everybody. You're more alive than that first service was. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm always privileged to be with, with Corey wherever he is. I'm just so encouraged with his life. As he said, we've known each other uh, since 1997. And, and since that time, he's just been a great friend and a, and a stalwart man of God. Both he and Bonnie and their, and their family just live a real life before the Lord. And I'm always uh, glad to be able to speak at, uh, this is my first time at Crosspoint, and I cannot believe, I just cannot believe you guys have not capitalized on the name of your pastor, <laughs> Crosspoint Church, our pastor is the real deal. <laughs> Come on. Got sin in your life? We'll deal with it. <laughs> I, I can't believe you passed that up. So, <laughs> so in his absence, I just want to say I'm thankful for the opportunity to speak here today and to be a blessing to you. I want to talk to you today. I want to talk to the entire audience, but obviously the focus today is on fathers. Um, I'm the... I'm the last of 14 children in my family. Yeah, that's usually the reaction I get. <laughs> all the same mom and all the same dad, and evidently no television set. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I'm the last of them. I'm the last of the 14. But my father has made the most indelible impression of any person on my life. If I look back over the life over my life and see who has imp impacted me most. He and my mother are first, you know, they're neck and neck, but because I'm a male and I needed the role model of a male to be lived out before me so I could understand what that was. I could, I could define it. I could be able to have something before me that I could move toward. My father provided that example for me. He's been dead now for over three decades and I still dream about him. He has made such an, an, an incredible impression on my life as a man. I want to talk to you now, though, about a character in the scripture who was also impacted by another uh, father figure in his life. I think I'll start with a passage in, in 2 Kings. We find there two characters, one named Elijah and the other Elisha. Elijah was the older of the two, and it was he who had called Elisha into service by throwing a mantle over his shoulder. I'll come back to that point in a moment. But a day came when he was to be taken from Elisha. In fact, Elijah is only two people, one of two people in the scriptures that we know that didn't suffer a, a physical death. He was taken by a whirlwind up into the heavens. And when that happened, uh, Elisha, who was with him, cried these words, which is the title of our talk this morning. My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. We'll come back to that. But this is what he cried. And the Bible says afterward he rent his clothes and he caught 
the mantle that had fallen from Elijah. My question is, why did he say, my father, my father? Because Elijah was not his biological father, as in my case. Why did he say, my father, my father? I submit to you that he said that because of some, some characteristics that he saw in the life of Elijah, what I, which I think if we'll look at this morning, we'll see that those characteristics can serve fathers in this room and serve all of us in, in, a, in a general sense, but specifically can serve fathers as we posture ourselves to be the kinds of people that leave an impression for God on somebody else's life. Think about it for a moment. That as a human being, as a believer, you and I have an opportunity to leave, to leave an impression on somebody's life from God. So why would Elisha say, my father, my father, to Elijah? Let's take you to the place where he probably first saw Elijah. Uh, my wife and I, my wife Janice is here this morning. Wave your hand, Janice. I think she's the most beautiful woman on the planet. And, uh, and, I, and I'm grateful that I married up. I really did. I married up. <laughs> uh, take it, she and I were standing at this place in the scripture on Mount Carmel, just October of last year, in the nation of Israel. Standing there on Mount Carmel, you would, uh, if you looked out from that vantage point, you would see the Valley of Jezreel or the Valley of Jehoshaphat or uh, Armageddon. All of that is the same place in the scripture. Use different names. Here at this place, Elijah confronts the entire nation of Israel. He confronts the entire nation. What was wrong with the nation? Well, remember that the nation of Israel were called by God to be a special treasure unto him to this end, to this end, that his goodness to the nation of Israel would be so apparent to the other nations of the earth that they would say to Israel, we want to serve the God that has been so good to you. And through that example, the nations of the earth would be one to God. It's the way that God planned for it to happen. But the children of Israel, after having received that special call from God and the special duty to be God's treasure in the earth, instead of following after God's commandments and walking after his ways, they begin to forsake the covenants of God, throw down the altars of God, kill his prophets, and walk in their own way. Now, I want to submit to you that, they're in, that in many ways we are following a similar path now as a people. The nation of Israel didn't want to keep the commandments of God. They didn't want to keep the moral standard that God had set for the nation and they didn't want to keep the practices that he had placed within them to remind them of his goodness and of, of, uh, of his purpose and desire for them to be that special thing that, he, that would attract the rest of the world to him. They, they on, the, uh, on the other hand, they just denied God. They, they they disobeyed his commandments. One of them was God's preciousness over life. The children of Israel walked away from God and began to serve an Old Testament God called Baal. It's an Old Testament name, still has a New Testament uh, or, or present day, I should say, a present day manifestation. 
Baal required, required the innocent blood of children. Now, I can't stay on that long because emotionally I just can't, I can't come to grips with nearly 60 million children dead. That the womb has become a tomb in America. But it was that way in ancient Israel as well. 63 million here in America, but untold numbers. A bale required, required that they would sacrifice their children. Also, the nation of Israel at that time wandered into godlessness. Sexually, the nation became perverted. All kinds of evil happening in the nation. As you see, listen, as you read your Bible, what you find out is that while this is ancient, while it's an, while it's an ancient manuscript, that the things that are dealt with in it are quite contemporary. The things that the, the scriptures talk about and the direction it gives us is not only good for the time then present, but the time now present. So the nation of Israel reflected many nations and many people over the cycles of time as time has rolled on. They began to be perverted. They walked in, in ways that were in a disagreement to God in so much so that the land itself, the nation of Israel itself, the terra firma, the actual physical planet, began to reject them. And Elijah talks about a part of that rejection. And he says to the king Ahab that there shall be no rain on the earth except according to my words. This is in, this is in uh, Second Kings, uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. There shall be no rain until I say so. I'll come back to that too and, and point something out about fatherhood in regard to that. But we find the scene is here at Mount Carmel. Elijah says, I'm the only prophet left. And there are 450 prophets of Baal here and 400 prophets of Asherah, which was also another idol god, just, uh, uh, just a, a depiction of how demented and twisted things had been perverted that things had become in the nation of Israel. So he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to make a decision this morning who we're going to serve. Don't halt between two opinions. Don't limp. Don't switch. Don't switch. Don't say one thing today and say another thing the next day. Stick with what you say. And so, if God is God, serve God. If Baal is God, then serve Baal. Don't halt between two opinions. Now, I'm, there's somebody in here this morning, and it's you that my heart is reaching for on the fence about whether you'll serve God or not serve God, whether you'll follow him or not follow him. At the end of the service, there'll be some uh, next step area outside. I want to meet you there and, and help you kind of navigate through these waters of indecision. But here is Elijah. He says, let, let the showdown happen. Uh, get two cows and... Let them have whichever one they want. I'll take the one they don't want. And 
let them put wood in order on the altar, on their altar. And I will put wood in, in order on the altar of God, which he rebuilt that had been broken down. And whosoever God answers by fire comes like the wood, consumes the altar, consumes the sacrifice. That is God. Now, it's interesting for you to note that Baal was, in some respects, the sun god. Had, had many different kind of manifestations of him, but one of them was the sun god. Now, if any god was going to answer by fire, it would be the sun god, wouldn't it? So they took on the deal. And this guy is setting us up. Sure, we'll show that Baal is actually God. And so they put their calf in order, they put it on the wood, and they begin their chance to bring down the power of Baal, the sun god, to consume this altar. And they're dancing and chanting, oh, oh, oh. no shine on the American Indian there. They're dancing around the altar, and nothing happens. They're dancing a little long. They dance all the way up until noon. Still nothing. They up their game at noon. Start cutting themselves. And, and this was normal for them to, to invoke the answer of this God of theirs. They, they bloodlet. Still nothing. Now, Elijah starts to mock them. The New Living Translation, by the way, that's, that's what I'm using this morning because it told me I couldn't, I couldn't preach King James here. It's a joke. It's a joke. <coughs> In the New Living, it says that Elijah said to them, call him a little louder. Maybe he's daydreaming. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine the scene? We were standing there on Mount Carmel, overlooking Jezreel, and right there where Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, call a little louder, I think he's daydreaming. <laughs> or he said to them in the, in the New Living Translation, it says this also, call him because I think he may be relieving himself. <laughs> Elijah. Shout. Maybe he's asleep. He's taunting these people. And can you imagine how the prophets of Baal would have been feeling? Oh, when this God of ours answers by fire and, and, and lights this altar, this guy and all those big boastful words that he's saying, we're going to cut him into a million pieces. But they danced in bloodlet and nothing happened all the way into the time of the evening sacrifice. It's important for me to parenthetically insert right here that the evening sacrifice is at the same period in which Jesus died on the cross. It's at the evening sacrifice, the time of the evening sacrifice. Elijah says, okay, now it's my time. You've had all day. 
and he prayed a real simple prayer. God, let them know that you are God. And let them know that I have done these things at your commandment. And he prayed that prayer. Fire came from heaven, lit the wood, consumed the calf, and licked up all the water because Elijah had told him to douse this thing in water three times. I'm just going to make it real difficult for God. There is nothing in your life that is too difficult for God to handle. It doesn't matter if things look like they're, they're arrayed against you. It doesn't look like, it doesn't matter if things look like they have been set up for your failure repeatedly. I tell you there is a God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask or think. And all he requires is that you like, like Elijah, this is what Elisha saw. He saw this profile of a father. And the first piece of this profile that he saw in Elijah was fearlessness. He was fearless. The time has come when this desk and those who speak at it must be fearless. And they must tell you the truth whether you like it or not. Because the truth is what has the power to make you free. Not pleasing you. All for quiet in this Presbyterian church. <laughs> Not pleasing you, but telling you the truth because truth has liberating ability. So fearless. He, Elisha saw that day on Mount Carmel that Elijah was a father. He was fearless. The other thing that Elijah, Elisha picked up from Elijah is the A of father. He was authoritative and he was articulate. Fathers, listen to me. Now, this applies generally to everybody, but it's your day. Don't let people walk away from you scratching their head wondering, I wonder what he really meant when he said what he said. Say what you mean. Mean what you say. And say it with the authority that you have been granted. Listen, we're living in a world now where authority is almost a crime. If you walk in authority, somebody thinks you're arrogant. If you walk in authority, somebody thinks you're bossy. No, you're not arrogant or bossy. You're just certain. Certain. Now, you, as a dad, sometimes you may be certainly wrong. <laughs> but be certain. Because God can guide that. He can, he can make the adjustments and the changes where it needs to be made. But there needs to be in the leadership of the Father a sense of authority and be articulate. Say what you mean, mean what you say. The T of fatherhood that Elisha saw in Elijah was that he was tenderhearted because in the, in the 17th chapter, 17th and 18th chapter of, of 1 Kings, Elijah goes to a woman, a widow woman. Famine had hit the land. Elijah had spoken. 
It's not going to rain for three and a half years. God told him to go to a brook, a brook Kareth, wait there, and that he would get his water and his bread there. When that dried up, God says, go to Zarephath. I've commanded a widow to feed you there. He goes to Zarephath, and a miracle happens. The woman is about to prepare her last meal for her and her child and die, but God sustains it miraculously at the, at the word of the prophet, and they eat, the scripture says, for many days. Eventually, the child dies. The woman goes to Elijah, and she says to Elijah, have you come to really to visit me uh, against my sin, that, that, that I've done something wrong is why you've come? Look, my child is dead. Here's what the scripture says Elijah did. Very tender. It says, Elijah took the child from the woman's bosom and he carried it up to the room where he was staying. He stretched the child out on the table and cried unto the Lord for the child. Father, listen to me. Listen to me, fathers. Listen. Sometimes the dead relationship, the child taken out of the woman's bosom was a dead child. I got sick and died. There are dead things that you as a father have to cry out to God for its revival. It's what Elisha knew about Elijah. That although he was firm and although he was bold and although he was strong, there was a time necessary for him to be tender. And he grabbed a hold of that child, stretched out over him, and breathed upon him and asked God to let the spirit of the child come back in him. And he took the child and gave it to his mother and said, see here, your child is living. She says, I know of a truth now. The word, the word of the Lord is in your mouth. Because of this tender moment, because of this tender moment, fathers, yes, you will need to correct. Yes, you will need to exhort. But there will be times when you will need to be tender. It's not unmanly to be tender. The age of the father, uh, the, 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 the profile of the father is being humble. Elijah runs from Jezebel, finds himself in a cave, and uh, there God talks to him. He thought maybe that God would talk to him through the wind that rent the mountains apart or through the earthquake that shook the earth. But no, God spoke to him in a still, small voice. And he said, God, I'm the only prophet that's left. And the, and the people have... Uh, forsaken your covenants, they've thrown down your altars and they killed your prophets and I'm the only one remaining. God says, no, no. No, you're not. I want you to go anoint the king of Syria to uh, uh, um, Hazael to be the king of Syria. I want you to go anoint Jehu in Israel and I want to be in your place Elisha. So in humility you know, sometimes we think that we're the only ones God's using. I got news for you. You're not the only one. You're not the only one God is using to fulfill his purposes in the earth. So have respect and humility enough to acknowledge that God is using people across the face of the city, across the face of the state, and across the face of the nation. If I had the time, which I don't have this morning, but if I had the time, I would... I would uh, give you sort of a Reader's Digest model of what is going on around the country in the body of Christ, and it is astoundingly wonderful. Now, you won't hear it on the news because bad news is what sells. But rest assured, God has not left himself without a witness in this generation. 
Humility marked Elijah. And he had to go back and he anointed. This is, so we find it now in 2 Kings where he's throwing this mantle over Elisha. And Elisha follows him and ministers to him. The day comes when, when Elijah is going to be taken from him. A chariot fire, fire comes, as I said earlier, and it separates the two of them. And Elisha saw Elijah go, and he cried, My father! My father! This is the R of fatherhood. He recognized him, he respected him, and revered him. Now, fathers, listen. This is your day, and I'm talking really to everybody who's connected with the fathers today. Today, let this be the day when you recognize and revere and respect the man that God placed in your life and, and treat him well, at least today. Don't, don't make him take out the trash today. <laughs> Tomorrow's trash day. Let him take it out on Monday. <laughs> treat him well today. Fathers, let me say this. You'll never know until you stand in before the judgment seat of Christ, you'll never know how important you actually are. A word that you say, a hug that you give, even a correction that you issue so deeply and profoundly marks the lives of people that God has given you a sphere of influence over that it could change the trajectory on the rest of their lives because you speak up as a father. You are incredibly important. And the devil knows how important you are so, that, so he's, he's leveled an attack against you seeking to, to cause you to be a weak point in the family because everything in human government on planet earth is built on the strength of family. So if he can attack you, the father, and destroy the family, then everything else becomes suspect. My encouragement for you as a dad is to stand in the glory of God and allow his power and his anointing to rest on your lives and you walk out of here today with your shoulders squared you walk out of here today with some strength in your heart knowing that I am also, I forgot the E of the fatherhood, didn't I? Here's E right here. Empowered supernaturally. There's more stuff, that you're, there's more stuff in your life than you have any strength to deal with. Yes, you must be fearless. Yes, there must be authoritative uh, and articulate speech coming out of your mouth. Yes, you must be tenderhearted. Yes, there must be humility. But you also need to know that you have to be empowered supernaturally. You can't handle it on your own. You need God to help you. There are some times when you will need to make decisions about what's going on in your family or going on with your children and everything in you will not want to stand up in that moment and it will take the spirit of God to strengthen you to stand and make the decision you have to make. And it won't be popular all the time. I contend, fathers, that if your child has not said to you somewhere during the course of their growing up, I hate you, <laughs> you probably haven't been fathering right. <laughs> they're going to they're run, traverse to you, but you have to be able to stand and stand in the glory of God. Now, fathers, I'm going to ask you to stand with me in these closing minutes that I have with you this morning. Please stand on your feet, and I want to pray with you. Your father in the room, please stand. I got about a minute to say to you, 
perhaps what has never been said to you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud that you're standing where you are. I'm proud that you haven't run. I'm, you're not perfect, but you're there. And I, I encourage you, stand, stand. No matter what comes or goes, stand. And if you will take the commitment to stand, God himself will stand with you. Father in heaven, I just bless you for these men in this house this morning. I thank you for every one of them that need to take a next step. They'll find their way to the next step area after service. And I thank you that the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit be with them and help them. Let your anointing fall upon them. Let your grace be with them. And give them every attribute, every part of the profile that we've talked about this morning. Let a fearlessness come into their spirit. Let them be authentic. Let them be full of authority. Let them be articulate. Let them be men of tender hearts and yet men of humility. And those who recognize a need to be empowered by you so that their lives will end with being respected, recognized, revered, remembered in all fondness to your glory. We give you praise and thanksgiving for it in Jesus' name. And the people of God said amen. 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 Thank you so much. You can be seated, Father.